Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. Happy 2023. Oh my gosh. Welcome to the next year of our lives. Oh my word. Are we, are we out of the pandemic? Can we start the Uh, clock again? That's debatable. (laughs) I guess it depends who you talk to. I, uh, I have not, uh, I have, I'm still living in it. (laughs) Oh my word. You know, it's funny. I was doing those. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you've heard those things where people are like, instead of a resolution, they do like the one little word or they do like the 23 for 23 or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'll do one of those 23 for 23 lists. I think I got to about 10 and I'm like, I don't know what else to write about. <laughs> like, I don't know what uh, other goals to have for the year. <laughs> I have a couple simple goals. I've I, I've got my writing goals kind of lined up pretty well. I am um, I'm working on getting through my screenwriter's Bible that I purchased with your gift gift of for my birthday. Aww. How big is the screenwriter's Bible? You've been reading that for months. Well, I've also been editing your book. So. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Right. <laughs> continue on. Continue that on. That takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, I it's obviously it's not something I, I need to set aside time to go through it more uh, regularly. I kind of took a uh, during the holidays, I've kind of taken a break from it, but I'm got up to the part that's most important because I'm really focusing on dialogue, subtext, and characters. Those are like three of my weak points, and um, so I'm really uh, focusing a lot on that. I've been doing a lot of um, uh, watching a lot of stuff on YouTube, you know, by other you know coaches and and you know writers trying mm-hmm. to get really um cuz i have a lot of scripts that i've written that you know i think the ideas are really good but obviously i uh you know every time i go back and read them i'm like oh who wrote this garbage they really need work as far as um you know developing the characters more which will help the stories develop more and then you know and then just better dialogue better subtext and and really making them work better i've got like these you know i've you know drafts that you know some of them have been rewritten many times but you know they were kind of rewritten with the with the incomplete toolkit i think is what i what my problem was mm. so i really have been trying to bring my um skills up to par so that when i do go through and rewrite these two or three scripts that i that i wrote a long time ago actually i can take those really good ideas i had and really you know come you know come out with something that's you know sellable that's something that people will look at and say yeah this is worth uh, you know a recommends kind of you know result on like a blacklist kind of thing so that's kind of my goal for the year is is uh is really spending the time to really polish my skills so that i can polish my scripts that's awesome yeah that explains a lot because uh so full disclosure tom's been editing book three in my kingdom legacy series and one thing you were getting me on was you're like not enough characterization which i thought was hilarious because i'm usually the one who like does that more than plot and so yeah. I was like, whoa, but you're reading that section in your toolkit. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it makes, you know, I have the same problem. I, I, I look at my scripts and I'm like, a lot of times my characters exist to move the plot forward, not because they have a purpose of yeah. their own. You know, it's like, yeah. I have to start thinking about what do my characters need and want and how does that work into the other characters needs and wants and, you know, the, the, the story that way. Because um, you know me, I'm very plot focused. I'm very structure focused. 
I know exactly what I what I want to happen in the film, but then I'm forcing my characters to do that instead of finding out what they want. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, you're definitely much stronger at the at the whole characterization than I am. I don't know why this book seems like it. <laughs> I had I had was pickier on. Maybe it's because it's my third book I've edited, and maybe I'm getting better at editing. I don't know. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. I mean, yeah. it's funny though. So this particular book, which is due out in April. I, I'm thinking there's going to be at least seven books in the series, and I really feel like one, four, and five go together. And the whole point behind the books was that they're standalones, and you can read them without having to have read everything else. But if you want to read the others, it just enriches it. So they're right. all set in the same world with different characters from different countries. But one, four, and five will have the strongest ties because... One is Queen Jenica, and spoiler alert, four and five follow uh, Reese and Farah, which are her friends from book one. They'll play bigger parts in, in the uh, next two books than books two Don't and three. you're so doing I... one of those two-parter stories, though. No, like... no, 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 no. They're not, okay. They're not, it's not a to-be-continued, but I think two and three were harder to write because it would have been easy, it would have been a fallback for me to just be like, I'll just keep writing more of Queen Jenica's stories. But like because I picked other people to write about, I think mm-hmm. that's why it's harder. So, and this, yeah. Yeah, I think the first two books were great because they were almost um, almost completely different, you know, characters. You know, you have some continuity between the books, which is nice. Even in book three, there's some continuity. But, you, you know, you give your main characters their due and then you, you use your existing characters supportively, you know, in fun ways. So there's like, it's kind of like fan service. You're, mm. You know, so if you've read book one and then you read book two, you'll be like happy with, you know, kind of the continuity. But you don't have to have read, you know, book one to enjoy book two. Book, toy, book two is a fantastic story all on its own. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I do have to wonder, though, if it hurt me as far as um, just readers recognizing and sales and stuff to do it the way I've done it. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling once I release four and five, people will be like, oh, okay. You know, because then they'll be like, I get it. I get what she's trying to do. But I think if you're going like just up, like if I stopped now and never released book three, people would be like, eh? Because (laughs) it is just, it feels disjointed because you're like, this isn't the same people, you know, until you start reading Mm -hmm. it. You're like, oh, there they are in the background. But yeah. Do you have plans um, aside from your books? Are you working on any uh, screenplay stuff? Not right now to be, well, okay. You're mostly working in front of the camera these days. Yeah, I was going to say, I am working on scripts, but not for my own. So I did take a job uh, starting last year. I guess it's, they, they haven't fired me, so I guess it's safe to talk about it. But uh, it's, the most, it's the most lengthy secret probation we've ever right? seen. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I didn't want to talk about it until I knew for sure, like, I was out of that probation period. Because like, for the first month or so, they were kind of like, I wasn't sure how it fit with my schedule, because I do work a lot on camera, and do a lot of voiceover and stuff. And so I wasn't sure if I would be able to balance time wise, everything. And so they were like, well, we'll just we'll see how it goes, you know, and after a month or so, we'll evaluate. And like, Six months later, I'm like, well, I'm still here, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, you know, that's like almost a whole other episode we should talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm a staff writer. Comic, Surprise, comic everybody. Yeah. Yep, I'm a staff writer for, for two mm. comic book series. So that's, if anything, script-wise, that's what I've been focusing on in, in addition to my own books and stuff. I haven't really 
been writing my own scripts partly because, well, first of all, I don't want to write a fantasy script because that's a lot of, I always write in the idea of like, can I produce this? Fantasy would be a lot of work, right? Because you've got all the special effects and post and all that. So that's the other thing too. It's like, I don't want to write something unless I know I for sure can produce it and put myself in it since that's usually how I write in, Uh, you know, with me in mind as a character in there. So (laughs) I don't have that problem. I just write whatever I want because I know I'm not going to make it usually (laughs) unless it's a short. If it's a short, then I, you know, I I do think about production viability. Yeah. But you're writing to sell. I'm writing to like produce it. So it's a bit different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Also, to be honest, so, I mean, this is kind of a, a tangent, but there's been a lot of interesting trends in writing and it, not that you can't write to the trends, but it would be fascinating. So one thing, a project I worked on recently, it was a whole, I want to say it was actually feature length. And now that I think about it, I think it was longer than a pilot TV. It was because it was at least like two hours of footage, but they split it up. So everything was like a TikTok video. So they shot everything was like a five minute episode. But if you watch it together, it's a full movie. So that was an interesting way of writing as well, because everything kind of ends on a cliffhanger, right? Because yeah. it's like the five minutes that they want you to watch the next five minutes. So that's a new style of writing that's kind of coming out. <laughs> Watching it all at once would be kind of weird, though. Like every five minutes would be like, ta-da, and then it would solve itself right away. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just sort of like, it sort of bleeds. It's, how do I, how do I, uh... so if you wrote the script and you, you know, chopped it up, but you just kind of tweak it just enough so at that five-minute mark, there's just a little bit of a closure slash cliffhanger. But then it goes into the next thing. So it's not like a, you know, soap opera, dun, 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 like every five minutes. They do play off each other. And it's like, you know, you're not watching it and the next, you know, episode two is like 20 minutes yeah. later. It's not like that. But it is it is definitely an interesting way of filming and writing it because it is so quick. Mm. you know so that was one new style that i saw kind of emerge in the last year or so we saw that I, a lot with with um well we interviewed the people from the game that was an example that was more web series though the way yeah. they wrote that that and that's been around for a while this was very specifically i mean um the the project i did they shot it in vertical like it was specifically done for tiktok type stuff oh. so it's very you think about not just the writing, because a, a TikTok reel is shorter than a web series for sure. sure. Yeah. You know, so you're in a way you're kind of getting right to the plot because you can't even like you can't spend a ton of time on, you know, long looks and, and mm-hmm. you know, tons of characterization. You're just kind of getting right to the point. You also think everything's vertical. So how are we shooting that vertically? Mm. So it's it is different than a web series for sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, you I don't know how you would re-edit it to do it as a uh you know a widescreen presentation later that'd be weird if you'd already done it for tiktok you can't because it's already shot in vertical Mm -hmm. yeah so that was interesting obviously web series i don't even know what broadcast is like we couldn't even find broadcast for new year's we were trying to find the ball drop we're like where do you find a broadcast channel we ended up watching it on youtube so who knows what's going on with broadcast these days well with tiktok that's interesting because uh they've been going through a lot lately they're you got to wonder who's going to stay with TikTok when, you know, country, whole countries are starting to ban it. And, you know, in the U.S., it's what is I think it's federal employees can't have it on their devices or something like that. And they're recommending that other people don't use it. 
you know, I hope they work it out because I like TikTok. I like watching it. I mean, I don't think twice about what China is going to do with my information, to be honest. I think it's a great content platform. So, and I don't think, I don't think, you know, Twitter is really, you know, risen to the the level of TikTok on the video side. Even Facebook is a little light on, you know, they have their shorts on, on YouTube and they have the, the video on Facebook. I don't think either of them have really accomplished what TikTok set out to do. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of what they tell you in entertainment, right? You know, niche down, mm. right? If you're a, if you're a thriller writer, don't start writing rom-coms until you've established yourself one way because people get confused. It's kind of the same thing with social media, right? You mm-hmm. TikTok, you're good at videos. Don't start being Twitter. You know, Twitter, you're good at the 130 and... characters or whatever. Don't start doing yeah. video. That's actually an interesting thought, though, our little segue, about content creation, where the money's coming from and the future of things. Right now, like you're saying with TikTok and they're thinking of, of shutting it down or banning it in some places. And I think, didn't you just say um, off podcast, something with Twitch? Twitch, uh, yeah. Back in September, Twitch, uh, they, uh, if you were like for the big content creators that make like over a hundred thousand dollars, they changed their uh, payout. So instead of um, like uh, over a hundred thousand dollars, TikTok's going to keep half. So up to there, it was only 30%. It's kind of like the you mean, app store. You mean Twitch, not TikTok. Twitch, Twitch I mean, I apologize, yeah. Twitch, yes. Twitch, yeah. So uh, if, you, if you make up to 100000 100, Twitch keeps 30% of your revenue from like subs and, and, and gifts or whatever donations that you get in stream. And then over that, they're, they, they changed it to, they're taking 50%. And a lot mm-hmm. of those big TikTok creators, Twitch, geez, they all start with T. Why do they all have to start with T? <laughs> then we learn that like you're not supposed to name your characters with the same first letter in their right. script because it's confusing. So yeah, so a lot of these uh, big Twitch creators are a little annoyed with that. You know, they Twitch kind of came out and said, "Well, that's okay. We're going to have all these other things for you to make money with and run lots of ads." They want they want Twitch you you know Twitch creators to run more ads on their stream which is probably the most disruptive thing you can do on a live stream is to run an ad. Cause you know, if you and I are, if I'm streaming and I'm talking about something and then you see an ad pop up and block me out, you miss whatever I'm saying. So, and it's not like you can rewind it cause it's live. They don't like that. And they feel like Twitch is, you know, it's an Amazon company. So they know Amazon has lots of money. Although, you know, Twitch is separate, you know, needs to make its own money, but, they feel like that was kind of it's it's this corporate you know entity kind of thing versus the individual creator kind of thing and it's we've seen it happen before um, with monetization on YouTube channels where you know you had to have so many you know views or hours played before you could monetize you know it's typical of the industry. Well, YouTube and Twitch run ads before you get into certain streams. I think it's the settings that the streamer has. But the interesting thing about all of this to me, so we've talked about this off podcast. A lot of these creators get their money not directly from the platform, but because of brand deals. TikTok, for example, you don't make money at all from your videos. It has nothing to do with your views. It's did you make a brand deal and then and now you're, you know, getting money that way on TikTok. 
Twitch, yeah, I know they have, I've heard some stuff about their affiliate program. And here you are saying, you know, that they're changing numbers. YouTube, I think it's based on views, but a lot of it is sponsorships, right? And again, the tip jar and stuff like that. And what's fascinating about it is during the pandemic, within the last year or so, SAG realized that they were real, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, SAG realized they were leaving money on the table with content creators. Content creators have been around for like, what, 10 plus years? And they're like, we're leaving money on the table. So they created a special category for people to join the union. I don't know much about it. I'm not in that category. But from what I know, it has nothing to do with your viewership or your numbers and everything to do with your brand deals. And if brand deals are kind of changing or going away, which is kind of the word on the street with content creation, I wonder how that that will affect people who want to join the union, who are content creators, specifically in that category. Yeah, I don't understand the the SAG part of the of the equation either, since I'm not an actor. But obviously, there's um, you know the unions do get involved in a lot of ways with these kinds of projects. In fact, the the Writers Guild is you know gearing up again for a potential strike. It feels like they just had a strike, but that really wasn't a strike. That was the whole battle with the the agencies. Was what it, it sort was. of fizzled because of the pandemic, and then nobody talked about it for a couple of years. So. Well, I think that, well, again, it wasn't a strike because it was, it was not against the studios. It was against the agents. Yeah. That's what that was. And it kind of petered out because the agents slowly, you know, one by one kind of made their own deals to kind of, you know, meet the requirements of the guild, you know, of, of the writer's guild. See, I kind of felt like, so, okay, let's go back in history in case people are like, what are they talking about? So there was a big to-do back in, what, 2018, 2019, about agents basically becoming producers. Am I correct? Is this the thing I'm thinking about? Agents becoming producers and then having a conflict of interest over, you know, uh, producers, obviously, their goal is to, you know, get the film made and keep it under budget. Whereas, you know, an agent's job is to get their writer clients the best deal they can. But not necessarily to produce the project. That's not their thing right yeah so there, there's a conflict of interest there and and it, and you know the the writers felt that they weren't getting the one the service that they were you know promised by their agents and two that their agents were actually working against them in some cases so a lot of writers uh in a show of solidarity were asked to part ways with their agents which a lot of represented wga writers did but then the pandemic happened and i felt like that sort of called a weird truce on the whole thing because after once the pandemic hit like they just sort of didn't really deal with it anymore well it It was was gearing up it kind of happened like under the under the radar they had talks constantly going on it became a kind of a one-to-one kind of thing where the wga would talk to individual um agencies you know there's there's only Mm. a few big agencies and uh if they had enough big writers you know you know you know fire their agents you know, there was enough pressure there just in a in a limited sense to, to bring them to the table. You know, the Writers Guild didn't get everything they wanted, but they they, they coordinated to make um, changes to how they do things to prevent there from being this conflict of interest for the most part. And it has to do with like the percentage of ownership in a production company or the role that they play in a production company, you know, depending on who the writers are and stuff like that they did manage to work it out. And then there was a a period of time that the agencies, you know, negotiated 
to divest from various companies that they owned or had part ownership of to make to make it work without, you know, making them, you know, take a huge loss over the whole thing. In the end, the agencies kind of, I think, accepted the fact that, you know, we're here primarily first and foremost for our clients, which are the writers. Gosh, that was so under the radar then. I mm-hmm. seriously like once the pandemic hit, it just felt like they were just like truce to me yeah. anyway. Like I didn't I hear anything know. about it. I don't even know, you know, if it was if all the agents uh, agencies eventually did it or not. But it kind of felt like a domino effect. Like, like it, I can't remember. Like UTA was one of them, and I think they, you know, once the big ones, you know, started to say, okay, this is what we'll agree to, and they negotiated it the other agencies kind of like fell in line and said, okay, we can live with that too. Mm. You know, they're all playing on the same level at this point. Yeah. But now, you know, after all that happened, I can't believe it. It seems like we're, we're right back at it again because the back in uh, November, the, uh, the WGA, um, the, the one out West, uh, West coast agency put together their negotiating team because it's time to go back to the table for the negotiations over the MBA and stuff like that, the minimum basic agreement, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's a lot of the same issues that they've had before, you know, things like residuals for streaming. One of the new things that I thought was interesting was that there are a majority of writers that get above the minimum, which is, well, technically called scale, but the ceiling for those is kind of being pressured down. So while a majority are getting more than the minimum, they're not getting a, a lot more than the minimum. So there's like a pressure, um, even for um, the most successful writers, to, uh, to, to, to lower that. You have a minimum agreement because you want to make sure the people on the bottom aren't getting, you know, you know, taken advantage of. So that's why you have a minimum. But that doesn't mean, you know, really successful writers shouldn't be paid what they're worth. But then there's this pressure um, to that's keeping that that upper level down now so they want to kind of address that huh interesting Mm -hmm. when are they supposed to start negotiations i i don't exactly know when that's happening but you know they're they're in the early process of getting started for that the the current oh the current contract expires in may okay so they've got i was gonna say that was right before the holiday and then like it's been a quiet holiday here let me tell you so i'm like they probably didn't do anything <laughs> over Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year, you know. You know, there's an article in Deadline. I'll put the, the link in the notes that you can read if you want to check up on it. But, you know, a lot of this is typical negotiation stuff. You you, you, mm-hmm. you put your committee together and they come out with statements about, you know, what they want and how willing, they're willing to fight. They think it's going to take a strike. But you know, nobody, nobody really likes a strike. Um, but you have to do it if you have to do it. Gosh, I feel like a strike right now would just be a really bad idea so one of the things that we were also going to discuss is how they were saying it's a very light pilot year and there's just not a lot of content to put out Mm -hmm. on streaming and on you know in theaters and on broadcasts and stuff and I think it's just because I mean okay I think there's a couple things partly maybe there's just not enough stuff that's written or purchased Maybe there's not, not a lot of money floating around to buy said projects. And also, at least to the best of my knowledge, we're still in Hollywood. We're still operating like there is a pandemic if you're doing a union project. Mm-hmm. 
And that kind of puts a damper on things as well. Non-union has basically, non-union was a free-for-all. So during the height of the pandemic, non-union, like 90% of non-union was following COVID protocols. Some people would fudge it. Some people would do half the protocols. Some people, you know, whatever. But once the mandates were lifted in L.A. where they're like, you don't really have to wear a mask, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're like, cool, to the races. And non-union, to the best of my knowledge, operates the same way it did before. You know, people will call you the day before and say, hey, can you come to set? Like the whole shebang, because you don't have to test. You don't have to whatever. I used to see on the breakdowns where they're like, are you vaccinated? Are you boosted? Put it in the notes. They don't even ask for that on breakdown anymore. Mm. So they're just operating like pandemic, whatever. It's done. But from what I understand, union still operates like there is, you know, they still want you to get tested. They still want you to get boosted, stuff like that. So that that definitely slows things down for sure. And of course, yeah. budgetary concerns. Yeah, so. well, I mean, just the big picture stuff is like the Warner Brothers and the Disney, you know, layoffs and cuts and things. You mm -hmm. know, there's there's um, kind of a retraction in the, you know, um, budgets, you know, these billions and billions of dollars the streamers have been spending especially with uh, competition and subscriber loss um, on some of the platforms or, or not growing as much as they wanted to. And again, it comes back to things like shareholders and stock, mm -hmm. stock prices and stuff that, you know, they want to, the investors only want to want to see a positive side of things. And if they're not they're they're going to have to make changes. And I think Disney stock was down something like, 40 percent this year 45 yeah yeah they have to look at you know you can't just have a spending free-for-all so the amount of content you know it's going to be a, qu a quality over quantity kind of thing hopefully but then again you're probably not going to see as many you know lord of the rings prequel shows where the you know the budgets are hundreds of millions of dollars so it's it's going to be it's like a shakedown we're having a shakeout we're having right now where we're going to have to see where things wind up with these CEO changes these you know C level changes mm -hmm. in the in companies to see um, where they're going to put their efforts and and uh, in their production uh, Netflix has you know spent tons of money over the years and it hasn't helped their numbers obviously but you know now we're all all the ad revenue um, you know, versions are basically out now. So Disney Plus and Netflix and HBO all have their ad supported, you know, mm -hmm. levels. So we'll have to see over the next few months what happens with those new plans, whether they start to rebound on their subscriber numbers and their revenue so that they can afford and, you know, justify spending the money on the content. And we're right back to regular TV with ads. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it weird? Yeah. One of the strongest uh, one of the strongest uh, streamers right now is Amazon's Freebie, which is their free streaming, ad-supported streaming service. It's like mm -hmm. what Pluto TV is, is doing and Tubi are doing really well because they're traditional free advertising-supported, you know, streaming networks. Mm -hmm. And you know, things like Pluto TV, it's a lot of syndication too, so that's you know, dirt cheap these days in some in some fashions um, for some of the older catalog stuff. You know, I'd be curious. Because I know, for example, in Europe, they, they pay a TV tax. And I'd be curious if we had gone to that model. Like, I wonder if they're having issues with content, basically. In, in Europe or England or? Yeah, in Europe, because you pay the you pay the TV tax. If you don't want TV, you just don't pay the tax. But then you uh -huh. don't get any of that stuff. 
But I just wonder, like, if they're having content issues as well. I mean, obviously, they also have apps and stuff like we do, but they're not as because with our broadcast, you don't pay for it. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not as reliant. They have built in Mm. funding. Well, it's it's much. Yeah, that'd be a whole interesting subject to talk about European TV. Yeah. You know, the thing about a lot of other international markets is that their content generation locally is much more than it used to be. I mean, the amounts of shows coming out of countries like Germany and Romania Mm -hmm. and Australia and, you know, the Asian markets obviously have been huge with the the Korean dramas and stuff like that. China, Um, you know, it used to be America made most of the most of the TV shows and then syndicated them around the world. But that's not happening anymore. Now there's a lot more demand for locally produced content. And it's interesting because, you know, we don't have uh, as English first writers, we don't really have any access to those markets um, yeah. as writers. They're gonna, and I see a lot of posts for writers that are like, well, Canada, they're always looking for native uh, Canadian writers for their shows because they, they get money from the government to make shows. Uh, I think it's the same as with England, you know, with the BBC. Mm-hmm. So they want to use their own writers. Obviously, if you're in foreign language markets, it's, uh, not English, um, you know, it's hard for us to write something for, you know, uh, Italian show, which is culturally as well as, you know, language. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, that the culture thing, too. But I mean, I I don't know. I wonder. I'm not saying I want America to start paying a TV tax, but. You know, just having that built-in funding might make a difference, you know? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, as far as, like, Disney stock being down and Netflix and all that, it's like, what did you guys expect? We've been locked up for two, three years. Now we're finally able to get out. Yeah, you're going to see – I think the pendulum's going to swing, give it, like, two or three years more time when people kind of get back into their normal routine and they still want to come home and watch a TV show after work and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But just give it that – pendulum swing you know to kind of even out of course the stock's going to go down right now i'm wondering where the the uh the cord cutting the cable television subscriptions where that pendulum swing is for that like is there going to be a plateau about Mm. there's always going to be like a certain level of people that are going to still pay for you know cable tv versus you know the rest of us who are going like streamers but we're still paying for all of it just in a different way, it seems now. You know where I think that line is? And I see this because of my mother. I bet you once a certain generation dies out, that's when cable goes. Uh, attrition kind of thing is what you're saying. Yeah, because think about it. Like, for example, landlines have gone pretty mm-hmm. much. But who uses landlines? The the last My mother, part of this, <laughs> my 82-year-old the last, mother. Yeah, the last part of, like, the senior generation. So, like, maybe 60-plus. And that might even be generous, maybe more like 70 plus, but like a certain group, millennials and younger, we don't use landlines, you know? Mm. So I think it's the same thing. I see my mom, she's got the apps, like she has Netflix and Disney Plus and stuff like that, but she still goes to to cable. She still loves like Hallmark Channel, you know, she'll watch the news on cable, stuff like that, because she knows how to use it. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get her to use like Netflix and stuff. So I have a feeling certain things like i know everyone's trying to like hey you go use the apps go use this go use that give it time it's it's going to yeah. be a generational thing I, i'm really curious like um you know used to call it appointment television 
where, you know, oh, Thursdays at, you know, eight o'clock, you got to watch Friends or whatever. It was. Oh, okay. You know, that, I, I don't, you know, how many live TV in general, it's like the percentage of people who watch a show live, even if you have cable TV, you can still watch on demand. You can watch it the next day or whenever after it's out. You know, I wonder, you know, we're getting to the point where it's so customized to our schedules. You know, we control it, not the, not the, you know, network anymore. I mean, the the time gating has kind of come back a little bit where, you know, like not Netflix so much, but Disney plus. And I was going to say Disney's still doing that with like all episodes. the, like yeah. Mandalorian and all that stuff. HBO too, a little bit, right? Weren't they doing mm-hmm. that with uh, the Game of Thrones stuff? Yeah. So that, that, you know, that weekly episode time gating thing is still a thing. But you don't have to only if you want to see it right when it comes out, does that matter? But like I've I'm so far behind on like Walking Dead, I could watch two episodes, two seasons in a row without stopping. I wouldn't have to like, you know, because I'm just behind and there's so much mm-hmm. content now. It's uh, we were talking about this uh, or uh, my family was over last night about how we watch things. And it's it's a matter of, uh, you know, I watch I binge watch, but I binge watch not all at once, but. Mm. Like I'll watch one show, an episode, you know, a day or two every couple of days until I get through that season. Then I'll switch to another show. And, you know, so I'm watching I'm watching like one show at a time, but sequentially sort of uh, versus, you know, binge watching, you know, like, oh, they dropped a whole a season of something. I'm going to watch it right away. But you know what it is. Again, you're not the audience. If you were a nine to fiver, you would watch it when it drops because then you have water cooler talk you're a freelancer true who are, who are you talking about it with do you see my point you <laughs> just you <laughs> but yeah and i'm a freelancer too so that's my point like those things the time dropping things mm-hmm. that's why just just the same thing we just talked about the cable that's for a certain generation the time gating thing is also for a certain type of person mm-hmm. if you're like going to work and you guys are like you know grabbing your coffee in the kitchen you're like hey did you catch blah 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 last night oh my gosh like you're gonna watch when it drops because you want to talk about it with your coworkers. Right. But we don't, it doesn't apply to us in that respect. Yeah. I would be curious. Like, so your family members that do watch it on time, are they going into an office? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. My unscientific survey right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, half and half, I guess, you know, yeah. so. like my mother and I, we watch, um, stuff on Hulu. We're actually been going through old shows mm. as we when we have our have dinner. We watch. Uh, we've been kind of binge watching X Files and Star Trek and stuff. We're doing it that way um, versus. I guess my mother doesn't really care to get invested in new shows anymore. But I watch new newer shows. But I I'm just so backlogged on it. I'll like I said I pick one at a time. Um, but I don't have anybody to talk to him about then. <laughs> So, <laughs> but I'm you know alone. that's that's funny too that you're saying like your mom watches old stuff because like I'm the same way and I think like I, I don't know gosh we we need to just do episodes on like generational and cultural like mindset because yeah it'd be interesting yeah because I wonder you know for example like I know for for example they say your music tastes stop after like twenty so like you're more likely to love what you grew up with then want to listen to new stuff. Like, it's just kind mm, of like a yeah. thing about people like, because your musical tastes were forming when you were younger. And I kind of wonder if it's the same thing with TV. Like, I rarely 
want to get invested in a TV series unless I've heard a lot of good reviews because that's my time. Mm. Even books, like I don't really want to start a series because that's a big, so I'll usually read something I've read before. I think I've discovered like maybe two or three new authors in the last couple of years that I like and I'll buy their books, but it took a lot for me to try a new author. Mm -hmm. I would rather just read an author I like and wait for their new stuff because it's an investment. And when you get older, you just don't have that kind of time, mm -hmm. right? You yeah. would rather invest in what you already like. I don't know. No, yeah, it's I'm exactly the way. That's why the things like the Disney's and the Netflix's keep churning out prequels and sequels and stuff exactly because mm -hmm. we're comfortable with it and you know we have in, we've invested time in it already we know the characters um it's like any book series actually um i used to read star trek novels it's like you could pick one up you know all the characters except for, you know the main characters so you can just dive right in you don't have to like mm -hmm. you know do a lot of uh you know world building in your mind because you already understand the world so it's kind of like that. Uh, the same reason there, I think AMC's got two more spinoffs of The Walking Dead they're going to launch next year. So, yeah, we're going to get more of that. <laughs> oh, speaking of AMC, now you might know more about this because I haven't really stepped foot in a theater in a while. But I believe even though theaters reopened, Cinemark and AMC and a lot of the theaters are having some trouble right now, aren't they? I I don't know what the the current numbers are, but it can't be good. Um, for some reason, I thought one of them nearly declared bankruptcy. Cinemark, for some reason, they've been. Close. I could be wrong. They've all <laughs> had like new investors that have kind of shored them up. Okay. I was disappointed because just a, a month ago, the independent theater near me, like seven minutes away, announced that they were closing. Oh, wow. It's part of a local, like, Cleveland area chain of indie theaters, you know, kind mm -hmm. of art house theaters. This was kind of more mainstream, actually. It was a, a, a relatively modern theater. I think it has nine screens or ten screens. So it's not a small theater, but they're closing it down. And, you know, I'll have to go 15 minutes away to the AMC in the next town over, kind of, if I want to see a, a movie in a theater. So that's kind of sad. And speaking of movies, movie pass made a comeback did they oh you didn't hear about, i did yeah i didn't did they actually launch i remember they were sending out emails to former subscribers kind of wanting you to get on the wait list to to rejoin it but i don't know what happened with that so i am going to look it up right now because i remembered hearing about it and i was kind of like i got so burned because I even bought stock in it. That was a stupid Ooh, move. You did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was dumb. And so I got so burned on it. I was late to the party because I, I, I remembered hearing other people talk about it. And I think I finally bought my movie pass maybe a good six to nine, maybe up to a year after everybody else had, had purchased it. And then it went out and this, I also lost stock on it. And I was just and then, of course, like, you know, Regal, AMC and all those people came up with their own subscription passes yeah, and stuff so i was like oh yeah like movie movie pass is dead it's not going to come back and then they did make a comeback and i'm like i don't know if i should trust it you know what i mean like so that's why i haven't bought it again because i'm just like i don't know i don't know would you would you buy it again i don't know i don't think so i i i mean i as long as i have an amc theater close to me that's i'd probably go back to a list if i was going to be going to the movies a lot but i'm still Still shy about going into theaters uh, too too frequently. To uh, I have to really want to go see a movie to to to, to go to the theater. Mm -hmm. So it came back out in the fall, 
and it has a uh, a tiered pricing now. Yeah. So before I think it was like what nine ninety nine for the whole. It depends month how many or whatever. how many movies it was. I thought it was. No, it was a flat rate. Because I remember pass. that's, that's right. movie pass. Yeah, the, the reason I bought it was it was so right. freaking cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's uh, anywhere from ten to thirty a month. And let's see what else it says here. I think the only thing I think this is why I didn't get it. And and again, we'll put something in the show notes about it, or you guys can do your own research. But I believe the reason I didn't think it was worth it this time is before. Remember, it was basically any theater. I think now it's only certain like for us it would be like Lemley, like the art house theaters, but I don't think it includes places like Regal or AMC that already have a subscription service. Mm. So it's like, for me, what's the point? I want to go anywhere I want to go. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I didn't buy it, but okay. yeah, but double check, <laughs> double check what's in your area. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. And because I got so burned, ugh. You'd really have to to sell me on it and tell me you're not going out of business again. <laughs> well, that's one to watch this year. We'll have to see what happens yeah. with that. There's a, it's going to be an interesting year. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, here we are thinking we're coming out of the pandemic and there's more happening in China. It's kind of been an up and down ride. It's And it's been really rough uh, for a lot of companies. So we'll see what happens this year. What are you guys looking forward to in 2023? Let us know in the comments. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com or at WG Therapy on Instagram and Twitter. And have a wonderful 2023. We will talk to you guys soon. Bye.